Amen. Amen. Good to have you back tonight. Good to be back with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Before we dive back into 2 Corinthians tonight, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to picture a stage. On that stage, I'd like you to picture a curtain that is closed. It's not open yet. The actors are getting ready for this next act, but the curtain is not opened. Let's leave that curtain closed for just a few more moments. And let's take just a couple of moments and catch up to the story of what we're going to dive into when that curtain comes open in just a moment. Paul is writing this heartfelt letter to this church in Corinth. And here's the backdrop of what's been going on before the curtain comes open. In this church at Corinth, there have been those who have infiltrated the church and turned many of the hearts of the Corinthian Christians away from Paul and, more importantly, away from Christ. And Paul is writing this letter, pleading with the Corinthians to open up their hearts again to him and to allow God to speak to them through him. The first thing we're going to see as the curtain opens tonight is this. Paul is setting an example for us as Christians in this way. Paul is doing something here that he really doesn't want to do. That he really doesn't like to do. But he's sort of getting out of his personal comfort zone because of the spiritual welfare of others. He's willing to get out of this comfort zone and do something that he really doesn't like or want to do because... It's going to spiritually benefit the Corinthians. So before the curtain opens and we dive into this act we're going to look at tonight, the first thing that God impressed upon me was this. Am I willing at times to get out of my comfort zone for the spiritual benefit of others? That's Paul's side. That's where Paul's coming from this whole, these next couple chapters. In fact, these next five weeks as we finish 2 Corinthians on Tuesday night, that's where Paul's coming from. He's willing to get out of his comfort zone because he knows that this is what the Corinthians need. Now, from the Corinthian standpoint, they are in desperate need of discernment. Reason being because even though they had people like the Apostle Paul to teach them, let's remember, going back a few weeks, many weeks now, that even though Paul taught them truth, that he wasn't the most eloquent speaker, 
And so something else that these sort of false teachers came in to do was say, hey, this Paul's not really a great communicator. He's not very eloquent. I would sort of dismiss what he's saying. Listen to us. We're much more eloquent. We're, we're much more uh, higher and greater communicators. And you need to listen to us. Even though what they were teaching wasn't the truth. And so they were swallowing the lies of the false teachers and pushing away the truth of God that was coming through the Apostle Paul. And so we see from Paul's side this great example to us of a Christian who every once in a while was willing to get out of his personal comfort zone because it was spiritually going to benefit other brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the other side, from the Corinthian side, we are challenged as Christians of how important discernment is in our life and how we need to continue to build our discernment and grow in our discernment so that we're not taken in by the lies of Satan, the world, or anyone else that speaks into our life. One other thing before we open the curtain. You will notice here at the beginning of this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan is referred to as the subtle serpent. At the end of the passage we're going to look at tonight, in verse 15, he's looked at as the angel of light. And so it's no coincidence that in this passage we're going to look at tonight, there's sort of a bookends here of why discernment is so important in a Christian's life. Because Satan is pictured at the beginning of this chapter as the subtle serpent, and at the end of this passage, as the angel of light. So let's open up the curtain tonight, and let's look at what's happening here in Paul between Paul and the Corinthians. Paul says in verse 1, I wish that you would be patient with me and a little foolishness. I mean, Paul's very upfront. He says, look, to me this is silly that I even have to do this. What is Paul getting ready to do? He's getting ready to defend himself. Now, we have to be careful. Because there is times as a Christian where we should not defend ourselves where there is no need to defend ourselves, and where it will not do any good to defend ourselves. But Paul is also reminding us here that there are a few times in our life where we need to defend ourselves, because really what Paul is doing here and saying is, I'm defending myself because I'm really defending my apostleship. I'm, I'm defending God's work through me in your life. And you need to see this comparison that's very clear between me and my ministry and between these super apostles who've come into the church and turned you against me and ultimately against Christ. And you need to see it. So again, even though Paul thinks it's really silly that he has to do this, again, it's not in his comfort zone. This is not something Paul would ever choose to do because it's never about him. 
that he realizes for the spiritual benefit and really for the spiritual survival of these Corinthians and this church, he needs to do this because he needs to expose once and for all these false apostles and false teachers. He needs to, in this passage, unmask those who are disguised as true servants of Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says to the Corinthians, I wish that you would be patient with me in a little foolishness. He goes on to say in verse 1, Indeed, you are being patient with me. Because I guess they're reading the letter. <laughs> and in that sense, he's saying, Well, I guess if you're reading this, you are bearing with me in this. Verse 2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. The word jealous here in verse 2 means to burn with zeal. There's another example and challenge for us. Do we burn with zeal over the spiritual welfare of other Christians? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying to the Corinthians, I care about you so much. This is why I'm doing this. Because I care, because I love you, I'm willing to be a little silly here and get out of my comfort zone. Because he says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. The second word jealousy means enthusiasm and fervor. Paul is saying, I am just demonstrating a godlike, a resembling God enthusiasm and fervor for you. I want to stop here for a moment because we know that the Bible teaches a lot about jealousy in the negative context. And we know that jealousy can just destroy people's lives. And there's all kinds of verses on how bad jealousy is. But there's also a God-like, resembling God-like jealousy that we should have in our lives. Not an envy of others and what they have and all of that, but a fervor, an enthusiasm, a, a holy zeal, if you will, for their spiritual good and benefit and well-being. When the Bible talks about God being a jealous God, God is never jealous of us. God is jealous for us. And what that simply means is the reason why God has such an enthusiasm and zeal for us is because God understands if a human being does not put me in my proper place, if they do not know me, if they're not living for me, then they're going to miss out on the best that life can give to them. That's why God is jealous for us. That's why the Bible says God is a jealous God. He's not passive in any way when it comes to us. God is jealous over you. When you leave this place tonight, know this, that you leave with a God who is absolutely jealous of you. He burns with zeal for you. He has an enthusiasm and a fervor for you. He gets excited when you come into His presence. He gets excited when you are willing to spend time with Him. Can you imagine? 
I mean, we got to stop for a moment and think about that. How often do we get excited and enthusiastic about spending time with God and we're just frail, feeble human beings and here he is, the God of the universe who actually gets excited to spend time with you and I. Boy, that's, that's sobering. And yet, encouraging. That's how much God loves you and cares about you, every one of you. And that's why we need to understand the scriptures because it allows us to see ourselves in a proper way. One of the things I've learned over the years is that many even Christians, but I'm just going to even say human beings, limit themselves and what kind of life they live primarily because of their own view of themselves. Because they've never adopted a biblical view of themselves. They've never seen themselves the way God sees them. And I guarantee you, folks, that will limit where you go in life. That will limit what potential you ever get to because you don't see yourself the way the Bible sees you. You don't see yourself the way God sees you. And that's why we need to get into the Word to change our thinking because our thoughts many times about ourselves, even is very negative and very destructive. Then Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, here's one of the reasons why I'm burning with zeal and so enthusiastic, because I promised you in marriage to one, only one husband, to present you as a pure virgin, kept for one, Christ alone. Paul is using the Jewish marriage. And in the Jewish marriage, just like with Mary and Joseph, the betrothal or engagement period was very important. The friend of the bridegroom, today we call it, you, you call him usually the best man. In Jewish culture, he was called the friend of the bridegroom. It was his responsibility that when a couple got engaged, he watched over the bride. He protected her and he made sure that she was going to keep herself for his friend. In fact, he would many times vouch for her character and basically say, yep, she's kept herself for this one alone. And Paul is using that to say, when you Corinthians came to Christ... In a sense, that was, that was you having that relationship start with Jesus. But there's a time gap, just like there is in Jewish culture between, and even in our culture, between getting engaged and actually getting married. And Paul sees this gap between us becoming a Christian and accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and actually 
being with Christ and in a sense consummating the marriage at the marriage supper of the Lamb that's referred to in the book of Revelation. And in that in-between time, Paul is saying that God expects us to be kept for Him and only Him. And now you have been drawn away from Christ by these false teachers. You have not kept yourself for Christ alone. You have allowed these people to come into your church and influence you away from me and ultimately away from Jesus. And that's not what God expects. When He enters into our life and we become a Christian, we are to keep ourselves for Him alone. He is to be the priority, the preeminent one, given first place in our lives above everything and everyone else. And Paul says that's not happening in the church at Corinth anymore. And then he says, here's probably why. Verse 3, I am afraid, I am alarmed, that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. By the way, the word deceived, we need to stop and look at that. The word means out from or away from. In other words, leading to independence. That is Satan, the subtle serpent's strategy. He seeks to get us away from God away from each other, away from godly influences, and get us out on our own. That's why he's also referred to not only as the subtle serpent and the angel of light, but in the scriptures as the roaring lion. Because even a healthy lion, he won't attack a whole pack of animals. He will sit back and wait and see... Is there one that's been separated from the pack? Is there one that's sickly? Is there one that's injured, that's lagging behind? And the lion goes after that one. And that's exactly what Satan does. That's why it's so dangerous when we as Christians separate from fellowship with each other. When we don't spend time with God every day and our distance continues to grow and we're, we're you know, in this relationship but sort of at a distance. We are, we are prime targets for Satan because that's when his deception can really take hold. That's when we begin to lack discernment as we're going to see later. And that's exactly, Paul said, what's probably happened in Corinth. The subtle serpent has taken you all away. And now your minds have been led astray. The word sincere means singleness, simplicity. The word pure means undiluted. In other words, instead of having a single focus, which is exactly what Jesus said our life should be lived like as a Christian, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all those other things will be added to you. But many Christians live without that singleness of focus. We live with a double-mindedness. And James says a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. The only way to have stability in our life is really with a single-minded attack on life through making God the priority of our life, putting Him first. And because that did not happen in Corinth, again, that's why the Corinthians were led away. That's why they lacked discernment. That's why this passage is such a challenge to us. Because if we don't stay close to God and close to each other, 
We are going to put ourselves in a position where we will be easily deceived by the subtle serpent. Verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, really? There is no other Jesus. There's only one Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And yet every cult, every world religion, except for Christianity, somehow has created another Jesus. Folks, I hate to tell you, there's only one Jesus. He's the light of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life. He is the great I am. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the wisdom and power of God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And anything less than that is another Jesus. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the eternal Son of God. He's the Word that became flesh. And anything less than that is another Jesus. And then Paul said, If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus different from the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it well enough. Here's a key phrase. The words put up with it well enough literally mean lacking critical judgment and discernment. Paul says, you were taken in. You had no discernment. These people came in and they start proclaiming another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, and you just accepted it. You didn't go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what the Old Testament scriptures teach. There was no discernment, no critical thinking at all. They just, because these guys, the way they come across, they came across so confident and so self-assured, and they were so eloquent, that they were just duped. And Paul's saying, where's your, where's your discernment? For notice, he goes on to say, I, I love his sarcasm, I really do means that my sarcasm, I guess, is okay every once in a while. I don't know. He says, For I consider myself not as inferior to those super apostles. <laughs> Paul says, I don't consider myself inferior, even though they came into Corinth like, we're the super apostles. You don't listen to Paul. He's just a minor apostle. Really. How puffed up were these guys? And even if I am unskilled in speaking, Paul says in verse 6. In other words, he admits, look, I might not be the greatest communicator, the most eloquent speaker. He says, yet I am certain, not in knowledge. In other words, I got it right. I know the truth and I taught you the truth. Indeed, notice he says, we've made this plain to you in everything in every way in verse 6. So here's the deal. Their lack of discernment wasn't because they weren't taught the truth from Paul himself. So then where's the disconnect? Keep your finger there and go over to the book of Hebrews chapter 5 for just a moment. This is important. Hebrews chapter 5. 
Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, is really the key passage to how you and I get discernment in our lives and maintain spiritual discernment. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author talks about the, he's talking about the topic of the priesthood of Melchizedek. I'm going to stop there a minute. How many churches, how many people would come out to a, a special meeting or even, you know, a Bible study or something, if it was advertised, we're going to talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek for the next 10 weeks. <laughs> you think you'd have a lot of people, really? And yet, here's the problem. Here's the problem with the modern-day church. Because there's such shallow teaching, that's why there's no discernment amongst God's people. Because we're not diving in to the deeper parts of Scripture, we're staying with the milk, which is exactly what the author says. Notice what he says. On this topic of Melchizedek, verse 11, we have much to say, and it's difficult to explain since you have become sluggish in hearing. They weren't always sluggish. They became sluggish, which is the idea, too, that the Christian life is never neutral. It never stands still. We're either getting more closer to God or we're falling away. There's no such thing as plateauing off and just staying where we are. We're either going forward or we're going backward. And then Paul goes on to say, for though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to continue to teach you the beginning elements, the ABCs of God's utterances. You've gone back to needing milk. You can't take solid food anymore. Now, Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he's an infant. Solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern good and evil. And he's not just talking about moral good and evil. He's talking about theological between what's true and what's false, which goes along with what the Corinthians had a problem with. So there's two things here in this passage in Hebrews of how you and I gain discernment and keep discernment in our life. The first is our spiritual diet. If you and I stay on milk, a milk diet as Christians, we will lack discernment because a milk diet alone over our Christian life is not going to cause us to grow. The only way we grow and we grow in discernment is through getting to the point where we leave milk behind and we start taking in some spiritual steak, some solid food. So again, one of the reasons why Christians today lack discernment in their lives to know error from what's false and true and what's right and wrong and what they should do in this situation or that situation is because their spiritual diet is lacking. And the second thing that brings discernment into our lives is when we then take what we're learning, we take the knowledge of the Bible and we put it into practice. We match what we're learning in the Bible to everyday situations. That's what he says in verse 14. Notice, solid food is for the mature whose perceptions, whose sensory organs, if you will, spiritual senses are trained by practice. By taking the Bible every day and matching it to life situations. Paul says that's how a Christian grows in discernment. Proper spiritual diet 
And then putting what I'm learning into practice every day. And it's through that habit, that practice of doing it over and over and over every day and matching those Bible passages and that verse to that situation and taking that truth and that principle and matching to that. That's how you and I grow in our discernment. The Corinthian church was lacking there. They weren't lacking in the truth. They had been given a great spiritual diet from the Apostle Paul. We learned that back in 2 Corinthians 11. But what they were lacking is they never applied it. They never took what they were learning and matched it to life situations on an everyday basis. And it was, it was because they were out of practice. They had no practice. And that's why then when these false teachers came in and started teaching about another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit, they took it in. Because they lacked discernment. Back to 2 Corinthians. Wow. You can tell I haven't been doing this for a couple of weeks. I mean, too much to talk about. So Paul says in verse 7, and I'm just going to read this passage because here, here's the point he's making here. These false teachers came in and basically said, you need to disregard Paul because he didn't charge you. See, and I realize it's sort of the same principle today. If people don't pay for something, then they don't value it very much. Well, that was really true in the Greek culture. If you didn't pay for something, then to them it wasn't of value. So when Paul came to Corinth, thinking that he didn't want to be a burden to this church because he was already supported by other churches, he decided not, you know, I don't, you don't need to take up an offering for me and support me. And then the, these false apostles come in and basically turn that around and say, well, if he's not charging you, if you're not having to pay for it, then it must not be worth anything. That's what he means when he says in verse 7, Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you could be exalted because I proclaimed the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so that I could serve you. When I was with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my needs. I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped or silenced in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And Paul turns it right around and basically says, so you're rejecting me because I didn't come in and say, hey, you need to support me. You need to take up an offering. And that's biblical. The Bible says that, you know, ministers should be supported. But Paul knew that these other churches had already supported him and he wasn't going to burden the Corinthians, so they turned it around on him. You ever been in those places where no matter what you do, it's like it's not the right thing? And you think you're doing the right thing and, and you are, you're doing the honorable thing and yet people sort of twist it and turn it around and it ends up backfiring. Then you know how Paul felt and why Paul felt he needed to defend himself. Again, not for his own sake but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the influence of Christ in their life. Verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may eliminate, literally cut off, any opportunity for those who want a chance to be regarded as our equals in the things they boast about. Now Paul gets serious at the very end of this passage because he's been pretty vague up to this point. Now he literally sort of reaches out, and literally, you can almost picture it, 
He literally takes the masks off of these false apostles because he calls them out. Notice what he does in verse 13. For such people, these people that you've been listening to, these people who've come in and you had no discernment and you took it in hook, line, and sinker, who preached to you another Jesus and another spirit, another gospel. You want to know who these people really are? I'm going to lay it out for you loud and clear so there's no mistake. They are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. They are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. The word disguise here means to change or transform. Folks, you and I can't make ourselves a servant or an apostle of Christ. Only God can do that. And when a human being tries to make themselves something of God, whoa, look out. It's got to be the work of God. It can't be the work of man. And they were the work of man. But it was deceptive. Because they were in disguise. If you were to just look at the outward appearance, if you were to just to look at the external, you'd go, they are super apostles. They're spiritual. And there was no discernment in the church at Corinth to be able to look a little bit deeper beyond the surface. Why? Because especially in that culture, and boy, talk about today, everybody was enamored with the flash and with, with the show and with the outer stuff and with the externals. And they got taken in by all that rather than being able to cut through all of that and get to what the substance is or what it isn't. And Paul says, that's why you're taken in. Because you were wooed by the disguise. And then he says in verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Boy, don't miss that. The reason why error is taken in by people is because many times it rides on the back of truth. See, very, very few times as the subtle serpent and the angel of light, if ever, will Satan come to us and it's all going to be false. It's all going to be a lie. No, what Satan will do is he will mix lies in with the truth. And so if Christians aren't discerning to be able to separate it all out, they see enough truth in there that they just swallow it all, including the lies. And as I've said for years now, you know, it's very easy to reject a bottle at home that's got a skull and crossbones on it and it says poison. But if you take a gallon of milk and put a couple drops of poison in there, most people aren't going to know the difference. And yet it's going to do a lot of damage. Because it looks good on the outside, so I guess I'll swallow it. And that's why we're in desperate need of discernment today. Because Satan is not going to come to us as Satan. Satan is going to come to us as the subtle serpent and as the angel of light. And then Paul goes on to say, Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants... Yes, Satan has servants. Servants even in the church... 
who are executing the commands of their master, Satan, not God. And Paul says, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will correspond to their actions. Paul burned with zeal for these people and their spiritual welfare so much that he was willing to do something very personally uncomfortable. He didn't like to do it. He didn't want to do it. But for their own spiritual benefit, it needed to happen. He needed to set the record straight and defend his apostleship, ultimately defending Christ and his gospel. And one of the challenges for us taken away from this tonight is this. How much do we really care about the spiritual welfare of other Christians? Because we see in this passage how much Paul really cared about where these Corinthians were spiritually. It bothered him. I think he lost sleep. I think he was all torn up inside over what was happening. And that's a great example to leave for us and a great challenge for us. Because every once in a while, if we truly love our brothers and sisters, if we truly are obedient to the second and greatest commandment, to love others as we love ourselves, then that means we're going to be willing every once in a while to get out of our personal comfort zone in order to bring about spiritual benefit for someone else. And what's that mean for you and me? Only you and I can answer that right now. And secondly, the other thing that jumps off this passage, when at the beginning Satan is referred to as the subtle serpent and at the end as the angel of light, of how important it is as a Christian, today more than ever, Because as we get closer to the return of Christ, the Bible teaches that there's even more false teachers, even more false teaching, and more false doctrine out there. And that the need for discernment amongst the church and amongst Christians today is needed more than ever. Where's our discernment? Are we growing in discernment? Is our spiritual diet Back to Hebrews 5, what we need it to be. Are we truly feasting on solid food? Are we staying with the milk? Now I'll say this. I commend those of you that listen to these podcasts and are part of the Oasis, because I will say this. I think you're getting a little meat here. But that's not enough. Because the other aspect of this is, even if we've got a great spiritual diet like the Corinthians had, 
we've got to have the, the willingness and we've got to take responsibility in our own lives to make sure that we are applying what we're learning every day to all of life's situations. It's only as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 that by practice, by continual practicing, putting the Bible and our, the principles of the Bible and the knowledge of the Bible with these life situations and doing it over and over where our, where our discernment and our spiritual senses be sharp so that we won't be deceived. And so there's the other challenge for us tonight. Next week, we're going to talk about what it really means to be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Good to have you guys back. Before we pray, almost forgot, we've had just an unbelievable response already to this women's Bible study that's starting in September, on September the 5th, Thursday nights. If any of you gals have been thinking about it, praying about it, you haven't yet talked to Marcia, you don't know all the details yet as far as to make a decision, or you just need to fill out the form and get it to her, whatever that is, please talk to her. They, they just want to get as many women in on Thursday night as possible. It's already a great group, but I have a feeling it's going to be even greater. So stop by. She'd love to talk with you gals if you're interested tonight. Father, we thank you that even though God, in this particular case, this was a, this was a painful time in Paul's life because he cared so much about the spiritual well-being of these other Christians, that God, you chose to place this in your holy scriptures to be used as an example and as a, a warning and as a challenge to us down through the ages. God, I pray tonight that something from this passage rang true in our lives, that something gripped our hearts, that something, Lord, the Holy Spirit was able to use to encourage us in some way, to challenge us in some way, to motivate us in some way, to inspire us in some way. God, we never want to leave your presence the same. We want you to change us, Lord, to be more like Jesus every day. God, I thank you for the spirit within this church. And Lord, for what you are doing and what you are about to do. Lord, you, you are basically saying to us, get ready. We are getting ready to enter into a season in our church that's going to be exciting, but it's also going to stretch us. And you want us to be prepared, and you are using even these messages on Sundays and Tuesdays to prepare us as a church for what you are about to do and pour out. So God, help us to come together and truly, Lord, seek you in this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it was great to be back with you. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. God bless you. Eat that food before you go.